Hi. Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know about some bonus content from Spotlight On. Head over to spotlightonpodcast.com slash blog and check out Bonus Tracks, the official blog of this podcast. There you'll find special material exclusive to the website, including music recommendations, artist interviews, essays, and more. Have a look. Hello and welcome to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today, the spotlight shines on South African record producer, MC, and keyboardist, MMK. MMK visited us to talk about his new album, Love is Energy, released back in March. As he explains in our talk, the music was crafted from jam sessions and band rehearsals that he later revisited and mined for inspiration. The resulting album is finely crafted, but surprisingly organic. MMK's music blends the best of jazz, R&B, and hip-hop into a unique sound all his own. He's a unique person, too, and I think that comes across in our time together. Enjoy. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm feeling great. It's Good Friday here in South Africa, so it's like a holiday kind of vibe. I've been seeing family and doing all that good stuff. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm sorry to intrude on your holiday. No, no, it's not a problem. It's not a problem, yo. I always love to talk music. <laughs> All right. Well, that's great because that's what, that's what we're here to do. I would love to start with, I have a question about your name or the name you perform under. Could you tell me a little bit about that name and what it means or if there's a significance to it or if you just like the sound? The thing about my name is that when I started this music thing as a kid, when I was around nine or 10 years old, and basically what happened is that it was Mastermind King. And I used to go by King when I go to ciphers and battles, and raps and stuff like that. What happened is that as time went on, I wanted to shorten it. So I abbreviated it to MMK, the letters to stand for Mastermind King. I figured having an abbreviated name, was, uh, it felt a bit cheesy for me. So then I then thought, why don't I make it an actual word or a name, right? And spell it out, E-M-A-M-K-A-Y. And that's how MMK came about. So I guess in a way, it is still as king, but just spelled out differently, I would suppose. Are you a different person when you perform under that name? Does it empower you in any way? So my live shows and, and how, I, how I record my music, the character that I get into when I record my music is quite different from who I am in person, right? I'd like to believe I'm introverted, but then when I get on stage, I put on the MMK mask, I, I, I sort of go all out. It's quite a contrast to my person-to-person -person personality, so to speak, you know, yeah. I do feel like MMK is sort of like a mask, right? It's, it's a different character that I'd like to put on every time when I go on stage, but it comes so naturally. It's not forced. It's not rehearsed. It's a beautiful feeling. <laughs> That's wonderful. Let me move now towards asking you about, about your new album. So can you tell me a little bit about the title of the album, Love is Energy? What does that mean to you? And what do you hope to convey with that title? Oh, wow. Love is Energy is my mother wasn't feeling too well. 
she wasn't feeling too well. And I live all the way in the South. Just to make it a little bit easier, I live kilometers away in the South and she's all the way in the North. But then I had this feeling that she's not doing all right. She's not okay. I should probably go and check on her. It was one of the, it was a lazy afternoon. I didn't really feel like doing so, but the love, this energy and the love got me to see her there. And it turns out that she wasn't all right and I got her the help that she needed. That's a personal story about how love is a fuel to do things that we care about for each other, right? And I feel like that could work in any other context. My example would be with my mother, right? But other people might see it as a partner that they love, right? And that they put in the extra effort for and they get all that energy and inspiration from. That is love. If you think about a career, grit comes from passion. Therefore, love is energy, right? A family member is not doing too well. What do you do? You go out of your way and you make sure that they're right. That's the energy. That is love, is energy. So while I was getting ready to go to her, I was thinking, geez, it's crazy what love can make us do, <laughs> you know? And that's where I, I sort of got inspired by the narrative that I can tell by what can love do? What can love make us do? And I thought it was a really cool sonic story to tell. Yeah, that is, a, I guess in a way, that's a positive take on what love can make us do. I suppose there's an underbelly as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. I actually never thought about it that way. But yeah, that is true. <laughs> Love could also make us do crazy things. But nonetheless, good or bad, it is an energy. All right. It is a motivating factor in everything that we do. And we, which I felt like that, that concept resonated with me quite a lot. That's an interesting way into the album for me because... One of the things that 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 stood out for me when I was reading about the record was there was some allusion to the unique way the the material itself came together. I want to make sure I say it correctly and then I'll be quiet and let you say it better. But my understanding is that maybe you were going through some previously recorded material from with the band or there had been some existing material that you were somehow going back through or revisiting. Could you tell the story of how the actual music came together? Jeez, that's, that's actually a pretty cool story. Um, so what happened is that I'm in a band called Sounds Like You. And what we do is that we play for a couple of local artists, you know, around my country. So we set up a rehearsal this one time because we wanted to meet with this potentially new artist we're going to work with. He didn't pitch. He just didn't, he kind of flaked. So then what happened is that we started jamming. And you know what? Guy didn't show up. Let's just rehearse some music. You know what I mean? What, what cover songs do you know? What songs have you been writing? You know, hey, you know, let's do this. Let's do that. And through that sort of session and that moment, we created a bunch of rehearsal tracks, right? Some of them were covers. Say, for instance, the, there's this Anderson Pack song, you might never calm down, whatever it is. So there's a part where it goes da 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 da. It has this decrescendo thing that happens with, within the chord progression, and I thought that was cool, right? So then I asked the bassist slow that down a little bit, and I accommodated it with the piano, and that turned into the first track of "Love Is Energy" that that everyone is listening to right now. So that was a rehearsal take. We were just fooling around with, hey, what if you slow the song down? What if you speed the song up? Other takes were from. I think some outtakes from a TV show thing we were trying to do. 
It didn't work out. It just fizzled out. Uh, but then I recorded the session along with Jeff Mahatri. He's the, uh, Jeff Mahachi. He's the drummer in the band. And I took the stems home with me and I just made it happen. So I'd like to say 60% of the album was made from outtakes and rehearsal sessions that, that me, and my, me and the band had. That's amazing. Is that, does that compare differently to how you typically work? Do you normally approach the creation of an album differently? So I always go back. I always go back. It's, it's, it's the weirdest thing. And I'm actually glad you asked this because sometimes I might make a beat today and fast forward three years later, I will come across the beat and I will reuse it for an interlude because I have hundreds of songs that were never released. And my family members and friends, they always say, geez, dude, when are you going to drop this music? You know? And so I finally found a way to put it right into the new project that I'm working on. So I always go back. But then, I mean, obviously, I don't do it for the entire project. But then there will always be a song that I've recorded from way back then that I've rehashed edited, produced, mixed it, cleaned it, shined it, polished it, and then put onto the album and made it sparkling brand new. In terms of your process, when you're going to sit down to compose or to write or to start to play with new ideas, do you sit down at a computer? Do you sit down at a keyboard? Are you sitting down at a drum machine and starting with a loop? Like, How do you get into a, a zone and, and how do you approach it? How does a song first get born? I always start at a keyboard or, or my bass or my guitar. I'm very musical. So for me, the essence of the song is within the chord structures. I might fool around and I, I, I play different chords and maybe I play a standard. My, my girlfriend just got me the real book, which has hundreds and hundreds of beautiful jazz standards that I can learn from. And even years prior to that, I was going on YouTube and trying to find standards, right? So I would learn changes. I would learn new techniques. And then on a one random Sunday, I would just come over to my instrument, the keyboard or the piano. That's my primary instrument. And I would just mess about with all these changes. And then if something catches my attention, I hone in it. And then I just create something around that. I create yeah. something around that idea and I build it and I flesh it out. Some of them don't work. <laughs> a lot of them don't work, but some of them turn out quite decent. Well, and it sounds like a lot of them become building blocks or elements that you can repurpose later or somehow reference again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is true. That is true. So it's like a recycling. It's like a machine. It's like a system, isn't it? I make a lot of songs, a lot of concepts. Some of them get left behind and revisited, and some of them are just made on the spot. Can you tell me a little bit about how you view performing versus recording? You know, is it important to you to perform live, or would you be just as happy to be locked away in the studio all day? You know, like as a performing artist in a performing medium, do you like to play live? Is it essential? How do you think about that? Would the question be that I do I prefer being in studio or on stage more? That's an element of it. Yeah, I guess we could start there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So again, I'm a session musician as well, right? So along with my band, as I mentioned prior, we play for different artists and everything. Look, sometimes playing for other artists, it's a job, you know? But then when I play some of my songs, I zone out and I, it's so hard to explain. I, I get into this, 
the spirit, this world, this dimension, right? I have an out-of-body experience and I find myself shouting like super loud when I'm on stage, when I'm playing and rapping and everything. And, and that is beautiful. But when I'm in studio, I make a nice hot cup of tea and I play with my instruments and everything like that. And I create something out of, I create magic out of nowhere. I would like to think of it or moments out of nowhere. I try to capture that emotion. I prefer studio because the stage has a lot of work, but I do love the feeling that I get when I'm on stage. I would imagine that given that you come from a style of music or a, or you create music in a way that involves a lot of technology, I would think, or or your tools are technology-based, how important is it to be able to reproduce that live or do you ignore what was recorded and bring new arrangements? How, how do you bridge the gap between the recorded version and what you bring to the stage? Wow, that is a great question. <laughs> That's like a musician's question. Okay, so I think of it like this, right? I always use an analogy as if, think of it as a painter, right? If you would paint the Mona Lisa, you'd have all these different colors that you can experiment with, do the background, beautiful hair and the skin and the eyes and everything that's in studio but now when you're in a band situation and it's a live thing and because it's live and there are finances involved you probably have to work with around three to four musicians on stage right given the rhythm section and maybe i'm playing the piano it becomes tricky you have to think about how to use how to paint a mona lisa with three colors or four that's given. So what I would normally do, right, is I have a bank of techniques that I have up my sleeve to bring the song to life. I don't try to make it like how I've recorded the song. That's the one thing I don't do. What I try to do is I reimagine the painting or the piece of music with three paintbrushes, with three colors. That's what I do. So it's a rearrangement. So every time when I get on stage and I know that, oh, geez, I don't have the synthesizer that I did the song with. I don't have strings. I don't have a 50-piece orchestra. I don't have a saxophone. What do I do? I try to make the most with what I've got. And therefore, I have to change the arrangement. Maybe this time the drum starts first. Maybe this time we're going to hold on to a chord for five minutes straight just to build intensity, right, for the crowd. Maybe this time I'll... I'll sing some of the stuff with a vocoder. So I change their arrangement completely. And, and I, I believe that a performance should be different from the recording. I've got the album. I've enjoyed it. I've liked it. But I come to see you now. I've come to watch your performance. I'd like to see what your expression of your art is in that moment in time. Mm. You know, what is the idea? What is the new idea on top of this beautiful idea that you've created? And music is infinite. There's so many ideas we can come up with stuff from a keyboard line, from a harmonic line. You know, we can take that and we can make something of it. So it's never the same. <laughs> it's yeah. never the same. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back with more Spotlight On after this break. And now back to Spotlight On. Can you tell me a little bit about your musical journey you know when did music come into your life what was it the differences between 
playing an instrument versus rapping, like just your, your evolution. I'd be very, really curious to know about where your musical background lies. Long story short, my mother once came with a, the 50 Cent, the rapper, his mixtape, his tape, Get Richer by Trying. It was released like in the early 2000s. You know, back then I, I used to love Michael Jackson a lot and this genre of music we called Guaido in South Africa. Really loved it. You know, it's like a house music slowed down and people rap on it, which was pretty cool. So what happened was that my mom came with this tape. I did not know what it is or what it sounded like. And I popped it into the stereo player. It really got me, you know, it really got me. I liked how this guy was rapping. And so I decided to start rapping myself. I went to school and I Everyone liked it. And I was like, okay, let's just, let me do something. I started as an MC. So from the tape, I became an MC and there was a train smash. I did not have good beats. I did not have beats that I liked. I would go on YouTube or whatever. This is years after. I would go on YouTube and try to find some cool beats, but I couldn't find anything. So then I decided I would make my own beats. But it turns out to make music, you need to learn how to play an instrument. <laughs> And that's what led me to learning the piano. And then I started picking up an instrument and tried to learn exactly what is going on there. And somehow I, I just kind of evolved into this dude who can like play, rap, produce, mix and record himself and write. And just it was just it just came from me trying to make a full song by myself. Started as a rapper. I didn't find right beats. I tried to make beats. I couldn't play right. I couldn't find a pianist. So I learned the instrument and I played it for myself. And here I am. <laughs> I mean, listen, that that's quite a, it's not what I thought you were going to say, because given the musicality and some of the sophistication in your music, what I thought you were going to say was you started off playing piano as a child and were trained and moved into yeah rap and hip-hop as you got older and became a teenager or something that would seem like it would be a much more typical telling of the story <laughs> that's so true right you know that's so true but it's so weird like i'm i'm the rapper who, who fell in love with jazz piano it's so weird like it's normally you know the, the narrative that you just told right now but it's so strange how it happened and it all came from this mc who was just uh, thirsty for beats. I wanted beats, you know? And so I just thought, you know what? I'm going to make them myself, but I need to learn the theory. But what I think the musicality came from my curiosity. When I picked up the instrument, I, I was blown away. I started with guitar first. I didn't like it very much. And then I got a keyboard. When I got the keyboard, I was like, what is this? It's more simpler to play than a six string instrument. And it sounds beautiful. I just loved how it sounded. I got obsessed. I really got obsessed with it. Like I would sit at my instrument like for hours on end, like learning songs, learning theory, doing like exercises with my fingers and try to get it right. I've always tried to get it right. And I guess my obsession manifested into this bank that I can dip into to create my own musical works, right? Because I always feel like if you can learn jazz or at least a little bit of it, you can play anything. Yeah. <laughs> so by learning all those chords and those voicings, it really helped. 
were there any jazz players that specifically stood out for you or do you have some heroes whose shoulders you stand on like is there a core of pianists or otherwise that are your people yes 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 some pianists some aren't i'll tell you maybe one one of the people that aren't a pianist but who really touched me musically it's john coltrane so Coltrane, when I listened to the Love Supreme um, record, I was blown away. And what I had was the original, the recordings, right? The original recordings of the Love Supreme. And then I also had some live recordings of him playing it out in France. And this man's language, his musical language blew me away. I was like, this is insane. This person is traveling from dimension to dimension musically. And I thought that was cool. And when it came to technique and style on the piano, I'd have to say McCoy Tyner. I feel like McCoy Tyner influenced a lot of musicians, even theoretically. He, with his chord voicings, he plays like a lot of, they call them like chordal chord voicings, fourths, right? Force movements. He'll play the chordal chords. And, and pentatonic, right, on, on his right hand. That style, I was so blown away by it. And of course, we have the local greats, your, your Zimkawana, you know, your Ndidoza Makatinis. That style of music, just, I was drawn to it. I really love natural music. I don't like music that sounds like it was invented for me, if that makes sense. I always say to friends, I don't like songs that are made to be liked. <laughs> I want songs that are rooted in the artist's idea, in the artist's emotion. In I always wanted something deeper. And that's why my favorites have to be McCoy Tyner, John Coltrane, Zim, maybe Tudozo, and uh, Big, Big Mkede. Big, yeah, Big Mkede is also is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you bring up McCoy. He's If I had to pick one artist, McCoy Tyner is my sort of musical hero. And something I've always found very interesting about him, I've, I've talked about before, is that unlike a lot of his contemporaries, he never really went electric. And to have such a long career, he never played electric. I find that so fascinating, especially in that you, era. I've never heard him on his roads. That, that's, so, that's so interesting. Yeah, <laughs> where other people innovated around instrumentation he i think when i think about his music going into the 70s and later his innovations were around arrangement and composition and how he incorporated african instruments voicings especially in that sort of early mid 70s period but it's just a fascinating musician and yeah he's up there for me <laughs> he's amazing and his technique right his technique is just so clean like he slices through chord changes. Like he plays so fast and every note makes sense. Yeah. Pretty dope. And I, you know, you know, what's funny about McCoy is that what I learned is that after he played with, in, in John Coltrane's band, he just like, his sound, I feel like it became a lot more avant-garde. It became a lot more in touch. It became a lot more deeper in a sense. After they played with Coltrane, you know what I mean? Even before that, Stuff we were strumming was so hard, but it's so beautiful to see his his progression, his evolution. Dope musician, yeah. Yeah, really, just incredible. 
who were some of the MCs that you love either as you were growing up other than 50 Cent? Like, or who now? Are there, are there, who's out there now that you admire? Yeah, I know. Uh, 50 Cent is, uh, you know, no longer my favorite rapper anymore. <laughs> you moved Yo, on. I was like, <laughs> so, and I'm glad, I'm glad you acknowledged that because, so, well, look, my, my favorite rapper is, so what happened is that after the 50 Cent stage, I grew out of gangster rap and I started getting into underground music, like underground hip hop, underground rap. A friend of mine, we started listening to La- The Last Emperor, Jedi Mind Tricks, Immortal Technique, all these underground guys. But as time went on, I started listening to MCs that rap on musical beats, right? Like Black Thought from The Roots, like uh, Carmen. I love the stuff that he did with Jay Diller. You know, Jay Diller is like, he's not an MC, but oh my goodness, Jay Diller inspired me so much. So Carmen, but I have to be a couple of records by Talib Kweli. I love technical rappers, you know what I mean? Like not the usual for kind of rhyme scheme. So yeah, those will have to be the guys, Talib, your comments and yeah, et cetera. That's interesting about Immortal Technique because being in America, I guess maybe it's a function of the internet, but I, I wouldn't have thought of him as a rapper who would travel internationally, that he would be, that he would be even found internationally. And I would have to think if not for the internet, maybe he wouldn't be, because I don't think of him as a rapper who's very well distributed or he's not out there in a above ground way. That's so interesting, right? Like he's quite underground. He is quite underground. I mean, thankfully the internet, you are right. It, it got us hip to what he's doing. I mean, immortal technique. Jeez. That guy was, was fire. <laughs> What's the local or regional scene like where you are? Is there a regional flavor of hip hop the same way there are in other localities? So the hip hop here, look, I mean, honestly, it's influenced by the American culture mostly, like trap music, like the Atlanta trap music. It's very much like that, which is cool. I mean, I, I appreciate all forms of music, but that's mostly how it is. I mean, the stuff that's really, you know, doing the numbers. That's the sound that's really getting out there. The underground hip hop scene or music scene in South Africa is not as, as popular, funny enough. I don't know why. We used to have, you know, underground rappers who would feature on scrambles for cash scrambles for money that was like a battle scene right and a lot of underground rappers would come up there but then a lot of them just stopped they just they never got the recognition here in south africa it's very different um and not different in terms of alternative music but then it's different from what i'm making (laughs) it's funny i get most listeners from overseas than in South Africa mm. because over here the kind of hip hop that's really hitting it hard I mean top top topping stuff is trap <laughs> and then we also have Amapiano which is I would like to think of it as a subgenre of house music but it's called Amapiano because back then the old school Amapiano always used to have a piano solo playing over the, the house drum beat right? That's also popping right now. 
Uh, I'm a piano. So yeah, that's basically it. It's quite commercial. And as I would imagine with every other place, you know, you really have to try hard to find something that's a little bit more organic. Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit. So you you mentioned a moment ago that the hip hop that's popular is not like the music you make. And I wonder, where do you place your music? How do you think about it? I know you mentioned earlier, you in terms of MCs, you like people who, or you're drawn towards people who are rapping over maybe a live band or something more musical sampled as opposed to just like bip, boom, bap. What's your self-conception? Where do you frame yourself? It's, you know, it's always a difficult question to answer, you know, because I get that a lot. Like I work in advertising, right? My nine to five. And so, you know, when people would find out that I make music, they'd ask, hey, bro, what kind of music do you make? And I'll, it's so difficult to explain it. It's so hard. But if I have to use references to explain the sound that I create, I would have to say hip hop jazz, a lot of soul. That's basically, I think that's my vibe. I think that's where it is. It's musical rap music. It's like, I always tell people that when I do a show, I want them to feel like they're in a cypher at a jazz club. <laughs> I wanted to feel like a cypher at a jazz club. I, I, that's, the, that's the only way I could really explain it. Because I really, as you mentioned, I love lyricism and, and beautiful lyrics over a beautiful music backdrop. And so, yeah, that's what it is. And I think that's what makes my music a little, little bit different is that I could tell from, well, different from, you know, the country that I'm living in and the commercial music is that I can tell that the producers, a lot of the time, they're not so musical, right? They beat slap, they good, you know what I mean? I love every kind of sound and style, but I can always tell if someone does not play an instrument or something like that. That also sets me apart. It, it helps me like a lot. It really helps me a lot. Just understanding the function of music, theoretically, how music works. So that obviously has an influence on my sound and and I feel like my country is not ready for that kind of sound. I do have a, a strong listening base here, but it's normally cats from the underground scene. But then for the wider reach of my country, I don't know if they'll ever fully appreciate what I'm trying to express within my music and the way that I'm expressing it. What does that lead you to in terms of how do you think about, do you think about career or is music not, do you need to leave? To, to pursue your musical career? Or are you happy just cultivating an audience the way you are? Like, what? I wonder, do you think even about the future with your music or do you just create? The thing is that, you know, a lot of friends, right? Even when I was a child, I would rap for these guys and, and even now play music for these people. It's so strange how this, like, you know, with people that I associate with or, or speak with, they would always associate this music thing with fame mm -hmm. and being popular and being known and traveling the world. Ooh, awesome. I mean, that's great. But music is such a personal thing to me. It's so personal to me. And I don't want to lose that by commercializing it. Because I work in, I, the job I do is I'm a copywriter. 
I write commercials every day. Uh, I'm also a voiceover. I do voices for ads all day. And what we're doing is that we're commercializing something. And when you're commercializing something, when there's an ultimate monetary gain from what you're doing, you get a lot of hands on the pie and people that try to dictate how your art should be. This is how your writing should be. Don't write that. This is our brand. We want you to write this. It kind of waters down the original creative idea that I had. Now, you think about music. Music is my safe haven. An average day in advertising, you face around, you, you get around 250,000 no's in a day, right? And when I get into a studio, I actually have a home studio right here that I've been doing for like eight years. When I come back to it, I feel free. I feel like there's no client that's going to tell me we don't like the sound. Or I feel like there's no research guy that's going to come and say, people are not going to like the song. I'm not crazy about being famous about the music or leaving my day job to, to go and pursue a career in music. Because if, if I'm going to pursue a career in music, there are going to be stress, very high stress levels that I'm going to have to deal with. There are going to be people that want things on a specific time. And that's going to kill my vibe, man. I don't want that. This is a personal thing for me. And I love sharing it with the world. I want to show the people just how I'm feeling about something. I rap about my personal life. And I want people to hear about that. You know what I mean? It's my diary. I don't want to commercialize my diary. And, and a lot of people have, have, have done, you know, quite a few people actually have made that balance work where they are still happy within the music career. And also financially, it's, I, I don't find it financially stable for me as well. So there's going to be that stress. I'll be running around and I didn't want that. So at least I have a day job where I get to be creative, even though there is, I get critiqued for my work and there's budgets involved, there's timelines, deadlines and all that stuff. It's fine. My music is my home. It's where I go to get my rest from all the stress. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm I'm not crazy about fame. I'm not crazy about commercializing the stuff. I just want to share the music and vibe, you know? Well, I think that I think that comes across. And I think it comes across certainly in the music on Love is Energy. I want to thank you for making time to do this. I've really enjoyed listening to the album. I'm looking forward to sharing it with people. I really appreciate you making time. Thank you. Whoa, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm glad. I really hope the music spoke to you. Yes, it did. It did. Thank you so much, MMK. As always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host and executive producer, Lawrence Purrier. We're produced and edited by Michael Donaldson, and our theme music is by Q-Burn's Abstract Message. If you like what you've heard, please share us with a friend and leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. For past episodes, web-only exclusives, and to join our mailing list, visit us online at spotlightonpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Be safe and stay in touch.